Welcome to part two of our discussion about the importance of equity in transportation. Once again, Aaron Murphy leads the conversation and is joined by Kimley Horn Transportation Planners John Martin and Danielle McRae, along with Amy Edwards, board chair for Dimitri House, a not-for-profit group in Rochester, New York. This episode picks up with a look at the responsibility that planners have when it comes to renewal projects and continues with a look at how projects can make investments in the community. Take it away, Aaron. John, I get a little bit nervous um, when you say the word transformational, and I know that's not a title that you apply to the project in and of yourselves. Um, But, you know, I, I worry sometimes that, you know, as planners, we have this responsibility of applying our professional judgment um, in a way that does not recreate the past in a different way, right? So do we right. not recreate urban renewal within the lens of what we think is correct today? So I think um, I'm curious if you or Amy could speak to a little bit more of the empowerment of the subcommittee and then how the technical team plans to embrace that dialogue and really reflect it in the project so that transformational is is a word that's in the eye of the beholder and we want that to be in the eye of the beholder that that really is... um, advancing the communities that we need to make amends with rather than advancing financial interests, advancing our own personal perspectives that, you know, we bring to the table, et cetera. So can you, can you fill me in a little bit more about the the source of, you know, the empowerment of the community and how, how you'll, how you'll bring that into the project? Uh, I guess I can start briefly and then Amy, if, if you don't mind. Yeah. I'll do bat, the best I can. Bat, bat and clean up. Okay. <laughs> um, so just just from a, you know um, procedurally, you know, our our company is part of a team um, that is uh, leading this this transformation study. It is um, very much like a traditional transportation study, but it does bring in land use. It brings in a study of the market potential, existing market and potential market, and we're very objectively. You know, doing our job as planners and engineers to to um, make recommendations that that would work for the community practically for moving people by foot, by bicycle, by bus in their in their vehicles, and allowing um, the results of of, of those phys- those recommendations for physical improvements to improve the economy, to to improve the neighborhoods. Um, and you know, as a part of the team, we're working with other consultants, um, the prime consultant who's based there in Rochester, as well as city staff, who are 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 participating in this project and leading the project. They're they're passionate about what could be in this corridor, and I I don't think they're going to let the the wrongs of the past repeat themselves. <laughs> I I think they're going to they're going to do all they can to to make sure that there is that the resulting project is a is a fair and equitable solution for transportation and for the community as a whole i think that you did a really good job um at a high level of what you know we're after um and what the subcommittee 
um, is focused on. The subcommittee is very, very focused on hearing what people within our community have to say, and very specifically people within our community that were affected adversely by the Interloop project back in the 50s and early 60s. And additionally, um, to those folks that have been impacted um, you know, since then in the time between the completion of the Interloop and now, how has it changed um, the structure of some of the neighborhoods? It has, um, you know, what sort of things has it made less accessible to people? You know, it is more difficult now to get from point A to point B. Maybe point B is the grocery store. Um, it has impacted the walkability of the inner city significantly. It has changed the landscape of, you know, very specifically the fourth ward. It required an entire church community to relocate. It separated um, families generationally, you know, some could afford to move, some couldn't afford to move, so they ended up in different places um, and things like that. And then we're trying to do some homework and really understand how the city um, and how the planners originally um, treated those families whose houses had to be lost in the process of construction. How did they quantify the worth of those people's houses? Um, we have found so far that almost categorically um, African-American families were given, you know, less value for their homes and their land. Um, there are some, uh, you know, stories in, in different articles about um, the Interloop itself being very, very popular with suburban folks, but very, very unpopular within the city um, by the residents who are going to be affected and impacted by it most. So. The subcommittee's goals are very specifically to bring the community's voice forward and to make sure that um, those voices are heard loud and clear in the planning process going forward. If we are going to create um, acres and acres of developable green space, fabulous. But you know, we lost a park um, in the original Interloop uh, project, Franklin Square. Um, was one of the oldest parks in Rochester and, and was um, was lost. Um, so, you know, how do we create green space? How do we make sure and ensure that um, some of that developable land is made to be affordable, um, you know, for folks that need, um, you know, housing and within the city proper? Um, affordable housing is a, a significant challenge here in Rochester. Um, so that's one of our focuses as well. Um, and I think, you know, just very simply, the, the focus of the racial equity subcommittee is to make sure that, you know, we understand the history of the project itself. We understand the impacts um, and how those impacts um, affected uh, people within our community and how can we maybe not make up for them, but how can we address them and make sure that um, we take them into account moving forward so we don't repeat some of the mistakes um, from our past, and we do a better job listening, hearing, and representing the entire community as a whole. Yeah, I, I really, I really um, like the 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 way you guys are framing the representation um, from a contextual point of view. Danielle said, "Do your homework," um, and then applying that moving forward so that those very important voices are represented in, in the project moving forward. That um, I think 
you know, I think that's a really great example of how we should approach our plans and our projects moving forward. Um, and so now I wonder if we could transition um, to a couple of examples. Danielle, I know that you've had some conversations with the folks that um, really are our engagement practitioners across the company. Um, and you know, there's there's one thing to be said about how we incorporate our constituents in our conversations. How you know we're asking something transactional of them when we're asking them to share their lived experience, to bring their life to the forefront and give us information for plans and projects. But how we can um, extend elements of those projects to actually invest in the communities themselves. Yeah, that's a that's a good question, Erin, uh, because I think it goes beyond the simple dialogue or conversation. It certainly starts there with having uh, intentional conversations and meeting people where they are, seeking that input, but then uh, incorporating it effectively and almost like making a return on the investment and and um, realizing some of the benefits of of that dialogue and that uh, relationship or the insight that we've gained. Um, extends itself into other programs. So a couple of our, uh, examples that I'm gonna share with you. One is from um, some of our uh, part, uh, partners on the West Coast. Uh, they have worked closely with um, a, a client on a uh, transit project. And this transit project will lead to um, significant construction efforts in a community. And uh, some of the funding is tied to what in the, uh, the RFP was very vague, or not vague, but the, there was general language that indicated a internship type program. Uh, and uh, our team really took that to heart and developed a framework and established a framework to set up an internship program, but it was not done in, in an isolated, um, with an isolated approach. It was really um, leveraging some of the tools we talked about before, engaging with the community and identifying what type of internship program would be of most interest uh, to the community. Uh, that it would serve. So the program is called Priority Populations Education Program. Uh, and it is a, as I mentioned, an internship program, uh, but it's a work school program for uh, school-aged individuals with the intent that the school-aged individuals or the participants will um, grow in their planning, marketing, and program management um, experiences or their skill set. And um, by by having this opportunity to participate in an internship program, they will develop skills and um, after a certain number of required hours, receive a certification. But I should take a step back and say that, uh, as I mentioned, this, this program was not established in like uh, a vacuum of sorts. Our team partnered with the client, of course, and uh, the city there, and also Job Corps uh, to work closely with the individuals that would benefit directly from this program. And uh, they provided feedback on how they would like to see the framework or the structure of this program set up. So um, as I mentioned, there are a required number of hours. And so once construction starts, uh, the high school students or the school-age um, students will have an opportunity to participate, work closely with some of the project team members uh, during the uh, construction phase of the project and really see this um, infrastructure project come to fruition which will benefit their community, but more directly benefit them as individuals because they'll develop a skill set that they can take on to some other um, opportunity in the future. And who knows, maybe they'll want to become uh, transportation planners or engage in this uh, in the in the space that we play in in the future. Uh, 
The other program that's a part of that same project is a small business resource program. And this was a part of that construction project or effort um, preparing for the construction that will occur in the future uh, and understanding that there will be small businesses in this community uh, that are adjacent to the construction project and being intentional to ensure that those small businesses are not negatively impacted. So um, our project team worked closely with the transit agency, the city and other government agencies to identify um, the small businesses who have permits through the city uh, and established uh, a working group of sorts to develop um, an understanding of what the needs were for, this, for the small businesses. And that was facilitated through um, a survey to really understand the priorities of the owners and what their biggest concerns were. So that once construction starts, we'll know how to mitigate those concerns or address those concerns as best as possible, whether that's um, identifying locations for delivery trucks or alternative parking during construction. And in addition to the tangible things that we think about during construction, there's also an element of business planning that we've um, integrated in this program so that the small business owners are getting support uh, regarding achieving some of their marketing goals. Um, and if they need any support with those um, business related elements of running their small businesses, um, that's part of this program um, as well. So those two programs, the uh, Priority Populations Education Program and the Small Business Resource Program are two I think, uh, tangible programs or established frameworks that we in our space have worked closely with our clients to establish and take it a step further beyond the dialogue and really reinvest into the communities we're serving through a project. Great. Um, those are those are some outside of the box ideas, but you know, there's probably a lot of projects that if we seek intentionality about um, where we can invest in the community as part of the project, um, we could we could be part of um, that that reinvestment um, in in some of the the constituents who are disenfranchised or underserved by the circumstances that we are finding ourselves in today. Danielle and John, I know that there's one project in particular where we've gotten to do this um, this have this conversation about the benefits to our communities and making sure that we're equitably extending the benefits of our community resources that you've got to have um, beyond our geographic extents, beyond the places that we find ourselves on a day-to-day -day basis. And I wonder if you might tell us a little bit more about that experience. And Danielle, I think it's certainly one um, that you've brought to a lot of conversations locally um, over the last few years. So John, could you, could you um, talk to that project a little bit? Sure, I, I'll tee it up, and then Danielle can bring it home. And and, and this would this is our, the last project, specific project we're going to discuss in, in this session. And um, it's a good one. It's a good one because it's a it's a it's a nationwide project. Um, Kimberly Horn was fortunate to have a contract that allowed us to have a to be able to serve the Fish and Wildlife Service on um, what we they called an urban transportation connection study. That's trend, that is a study that's moving into implementation in terms of the urban, the, the wildlife refuges that are close to urban areas are implementing plans to involve more people from those urban areas. Um, there's, there's, so it's a study that's focused on the human communities near refuges, specifically 101 refuges that are, that are 
within 25 miles of a population of a quarter million people or more. Okay. Um, examples would be um, Santa Ana in Texas near Houston, Detroit River, Wildlife Refuge in Michigan, Bio Sauvage uh, in, in Louisiana. Um, one real close to, to us here in Virginia called Occoquan Bay National Wildlife Refuge, um, very just south of DC, um, Rocky Mountain Arsenal, and then Don Edwards in, in, in San Francisco. Um, all, these are just a few of the refuges that are very close to urban areas. And the, the intent was, let's collaborate with the Fish and Wildlife Service as a whole and with the local folks at, at the refuges and to develop transportation plans to increase accessibility to and through those refuges, to increase community awareness of the refuges, and to develop a web-based template to be able to collect and maintain data on all of those refuges so that each of those refuges can use a tool to replicate what we're doing for seven refuges, but but all 101 refuges can 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 replicate this urban program so that they can do the outreach and the planning that would allow more and more people to experience what are at these refuges because it's really cool. I had to, I was fortunate to go on one of the site visits that that Danielle went on. She went on all seven of them. Um, bless her heart. Um, that uh, and it was just it's really cool to see the light bulbs go on with refuge staff and with uh, that that and with um, the community that you can, oh that that's such a we can bring more people here and we can show them what we're doing. We can show them our mission. We can share the wildlife with them. We can educate them on what they can do to help protect wildlife and to just and to and to and, and to carry that forward in their communities. Um, it's a, Danielle, how is that that tee up? Is that uh, all right? Well, you want to give yeah. us some specifics? Well, thank you for that, John. That was a good tee up. I think you captured the the the, uh, the essence of the project very well. I will say that I did not go on all seven oh. of the site visits. I only went on four. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so, uh, okay. so uh, our All right. other colleagues okay. uh, attended the others, but it was a great experience nonetheless. And I think the um, those seven site visits were an opportunity not only for our our project team to really understand what it's like boots on the ground to be at the wildlife refuge, but also to um, really embrace the communities that are adjacent to the wildlife refuge and really understand the opportunities for connections. Uh, and facilitate some dialogue. So in advance of those site visits, of course, there's some qualitative analysis that we'll, that we took a look at, right? The demographics, understanding the socioeconomic makeup of the adjacent communities and, and maybe mapping out or um, documenting some opportunities for physical connections. But I must say that the most, um, the element of the process that was most um, rewarding or most eye-opening for me and this is uh, just my perspective, but I think that a, a lot of people on the project team would, would share this, was the uh, intentional um, discussions that we had or the site, the, the conversations we had with the um, stakeholders on site. So once we were on site um, at any of the given um, wildlife refuge um, locations, there were uh, two different uh, stakeholder meetings that we offered to engage members of the community. Um, and these were intentional. Uh, we identified the uh, members of the community that we wanted to be intentional about connecting with. So of course you had your usual suspects, the transportation um, um, department or the state DOT and the uh, transit agency. 
but we went beyond that and really brought together some of the non-traditional organizations. Uh, we had uh, faith-based organizations represented, schools represented, um, other natural resources or other cultural resources in the community to understand potential connections and elevating the awareness of this unique wildlife refuge with other natural assets in the community. So um, those conversations were uh, really great to have everyone representing their own constituents in one room and to um, validate or confirm some of the uh, qualitative data, quantitative data that we had completed in advance of the site visit and understand what the needs were. So this is, I, I think, a real um, example of the shared experience. And while it may have been on behalf of the community, it was really great to hear from some of the schools that were represented and some of the educational curriculums that were seeking to really highlight conservation. Um, and so the result of those site visits were certainly um, refuge access plans, which included physical opportunities, so physical connections or transportation projects identified and then later prioritized um, and carried through a, a technical process. But in addition to the physical projects, we identified programs or um, um, not physical infrastructure projects, but programs that may elevate the presence or the awareness of the wildlife refuge and also partnerships between the wildlife refuge and the community to um, really develop um, and cultivate some relationships and leverage existing relationships in the community. So that's just an overview of what we sought to accomplish. And I think those um, uh, communities that were represented through there, whether it's a high school principal or the Boys and Girls Club or business owners, we really got to understand the needs of the communities and the opportunities. Uh, and it was a space for us to not only share our technical experience, but exchange that for the experience of the community. Uh, so that, that project um, is definitely a highlight of us bringing it home, if you will, with um, engaging the community in an effective manner. And we're, we're happy to say that a lot, some of the projects that we've identified have come to fruition. Those um, uh, refuge access plans have been used uh, and have been, um, have been successful at, on the ground, boots on the ground. There are other staff that are employing those plans. So we've um, yeah. found it successful. Yeah, Danielle, they sure have. And um, and back to our theme of this of this of this podcast of, of equity and transportation. I really think that the um the communities that you, you, you reached out to, um, there was intentionality in terms of reaching underserved communities, right? Yes. Yes. Certainly underserved and um, underserved communities. Um, communities where maybe there's limited English proficiency, no access to a vehicle in the home. Um, a lot of the demographic, I guess, traits that we would look to to say that um, there are opportunities to connect with communities that have traditionally not been engaged or interested in um, the wildlife refuge or conservation, to be quite frank. Right. Thank you both. That that um, really is a is a great project and certainly something that I've seen um, your passion and enthusiasm for as you brought as you brought the um, the strategies and the context in which you've engaged the public there um, you know to 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 light for the rest of us to learn from your experience. Um, so with that in mind, I thought that we might conclude with a couple of quick questions. 
Um, and Amy, I'll ask you first, if you don't mind. Um, I wonder if you give one piece of key advice to either agencies or transportation professionals um, from the point of view of the community as we embark on transportation projects, what would you like us to know or to consider? Um, that's a great question and I'm super glad you asked because I think that what is most important is um, including as many community organizations and individuals, neighborhood associations, not-for-profits, business associations, um, and things of that nature, including them as much as possible early on. Um, I think doing that level of um, homework and hearing the input from all different um, people and organizations within the community can really help uh, guide what the goals uh, should be for the project. You know, transportation planning, um, as I have come to learn, you know, is a really wide range of issues and challenges. Um, and there's a lot to consider. And when you take into account the history within some communities, there's even more to consider. Um, so I guess my my one piece of advice would be to get as much input um, and as much interaction and as much involvement as you possibly can within the community, because I think that that will help ensure um, that the outcome is a successful one and that as many people in your community as possible who have been involved will feel that it was successful and feel that they were heard um, along the way. Thanks, Amy. I think that's really valuable advice. Um, John and Danielle, as transportation professionals, I wonder, as you, you know, have put us thought about the, the context of transportation planning and equity today and heard what Amy just offered in terms of advice, can you tell us one thing that you plan to do personally um, to be a better transportation professional in service of advancing equity through transportation planning? Um, John, maybe we can kick it off with you first. Okay. Um, good question, Aaron. Um, and Amy, great answer. Thank you for that advice. Um, I mean, to your point, um, and I have tried in my in my professional experience to to be as inclusive as possible and open and honest and and present and real as Danielle had uh, had advised us earlier in this conversation. Um, so personally, I would I would continue to be that way, um, and maybe try even even more to be to to be um to reach out and, and be present in in communities in, in smaller groups um to go where they are where the, where the people are that you want their their input um i because I, I really do believe that if you you know we conduct transportation planning to result in appropriate transportation solutions right and so if you arrive at those solutions from with the input of as many diverse perspectives as possible, you're not only going to kind of forge the appropriate transportation solution, but you're always going to, you're also going to forge a more inclusive future in that system and in our, in our society. Um, and in doing so, I think we're going to be able to right the wrongs of the past. We're going to be able to transform communities and transform neighborhoods and what that means is there'll be equitable opportunities for people for all types of access, multimodal access, equitable, equitable opportunities for, for communities to have the same, um, 
green infrastructure, the same opportunities to go to parks and to have passive space and active space. Um, and the right transportation solution for diverse communities would result in, should result in economic prosperity and better safety for all and, and more security for everyone. So, you know, transportation planning is, is a mission, is a mission to accomplish um, transportation projects and solutions. The more perspectives we have to accomplish that mission, the more respect, the more successful those projects will be. Thanks, John. Um, Danielle, what is what is your two week takeaway from our conversation um, today about the the one specific item that you want to focus more on moving forward in terms of equity and transportation planning? Yeah, I I think this is a good wrap up, and I, I certainly think that the dialogue and starting off with engaging communities um, is a starting point, but I wanna take it a step further and I wanna make sure that I and my partners are good stewards of the information and the relationships that we work so hard to cultivate and that we are using the, the feedback and the input that we are gathering and harnessing from the communities and making effective change to address any of the um, systematic injustices that have been um, have negatively affected the communities that we're seeking to serve. So I think for me personally, and I would also challenge my colleagues, um, is to take to take the actions that we've talked about today and make sure that we're um, fully engaging and fully representing the communities that we've um, been so intentional about engaging with and uh, making sure that their insight or that their voices are represented through the full process. So when we are um, addressing policy or strategies where decisions are really being made that we are, um, fully um, representing the individuals that we have um, connected so well with or spent so much effort to connect with. So I'd like to challenge myself and others to take that dialogue a step further and uh, make sure that we are um, being good stewards of the relationships we work so hard to cultivate. And I think then, John, to your point, we will be able to, when we um, are making those decisions and in the transportation process, we will then be able to fully see the economic prosperity and safety indeed um, realized for, for everyone in the community. Yeah, yeah Danielle, I, I agree. I think we're very fortunate to be in the position um, and have the opportunity to, um, to create momentum in our communities to advance equity. And, and that comes with a responsibility. Responsibility, um, you know, I'm gonna recap some the thoughts that I think I've I've taken away from the conversation that you all have been nice enough to engage with me today, but a responsibility to be intentional and honest, engaging all voices in our transportation planning processes, to do our homework on the history of that community, the people that are there, and be present in the conversations that we have with them, to really value that transaction of time and information and truly use that in generating our plans and our projects and also to seek to empower people and invest in communities in the means that they value that we really can only understand um, by by having that conversation and listening to the things that that are valuable to people um, that are members of our community and bring a different point of view a different history and a different perspective to the conversation so I want to thank all of you for your time today. 
um, and anybody who's listened for your time in, in sharing in our dialogue about advancing equity through transportation planning. Thanks again, Aaron, John, Danielle, and Amy, and thank you all for listening. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss our next episode.